Welcome to the Truman Charities Podcast. This is Jamie Truman, your host. This podcast is for philanthropists that are actively looking to expand their donor portfolio. So no more coffee chats, no more spending hours researching an organization. I'm doing all of that work for you. Today, I got to talk to two very special individuals, the founding board member and his daughter, who's the volunteer co-chair of their annual fundraiser, Tony and Chloe Sigaledo from Building Homes for Heroes. Building Homes for Heroes started after 9-11. All of the founding board members and the founder of this organization came together and wanted to help the increasing number of veterans that were coming home disabled, and they didn't know how. And they finally came up with the concept of building a home that now accommodated their now new special needs. And how were they gonna do that? We talk about exactly how it started from day one, how they came up with the idea, how they chose what veterans that they're going to help, how they went from one house to 300 homes, all mortgage-free for these veterans, completely mortgage-free, and 95 cents to each dollar that is donated goes directly to building these homes for heroes. You will be taken back by these incredible stories of veterans. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I wanted to start out with you, Tony, and you're a founding board member of Building Homes for Heroes. Can you tell me a little bit about the organization itself and why you decided to join the board? I absolutely would love to. And it's one of my uh, most proud uh, things that I've ever done, but also the way that it it manifested itself. Our founder, it happens to be a lifelong friend of mine and my brothers. We grew up together. We had known each other since we're five years old or younger. So we grew up in the same four or five houses away, went through junior high school, high school together. But in when the buildings came down on September 11, 2001, it was an emotional wreckage for all of us from New York. Andy, myself, and my brother all worked in lower Manhattan. And although we had exited Manhattan to a degree, Andy with a brother-in-law of his, voluntarily went down to the pile at Ground Zero on Tuesday afternoon, 9-11, and worked rescue and recovery. And he worked throughout the uh, afternoon and evening in horrible condition. And he, at that point in time, spent some time with some outer body experience dealing with the tragedy that he was living through and trying to help through. And he decided at that point he was going to do something. No idea what he was going to do, but it was time to give back to this country of ours and give back to the to the men and women that were volunteering and doing all this sorts of uh, help. He had listened to uh, some of the soldiers, some of the veterans coming back injured with nowhere to live. That was probably 03 and 04. At that point in time, he started raising money on his own and he raised some money and donated it to different charities that he was very, very uncomfortable with where the money was going. So we had reconnected. I had been on a board of a, of a charity. We got another friend of ours that went to high school. So there are actually four of the six founding board members grew up together to form the 501c3 that we are today. And that was in 2006. We built the first home involved with the first home actually in uh, Staten Island, New York, 
for Brandon Morocco, the first quadra amputee of the war that survived. During 2009, we befriended a few organizations, big corporate organizations, because the philosophy is, is pretty broad. We try to bring in corporate sponsors, private individuals and companies, and the government, some kind of institutional aid. We have managed to do that probably as well as any organization our size or even larger. And we have grown at a rate. Obviously, you see my hat, which I'm pretty proud of. We just gifted our 300th home as opposed to the one home that we tried to start out with, which we did. You start out with one and you get to 300. One of our proudest accomplishments is just 95 cents on a dollar gets spent towards our mission. We uh, have have maintained that. We got to know countless number of deserving veterans, more deserving veterans, unfortunately, than we've had opportunity to, to gift homes. But we are striving towards expanding that. And uh, it's still a very, very big need. We did just build a house in North Carolina. It was 100 years old and his house burnt down. We rebuilt the house and he got to live there happily with his son for the last year and a half of his life. <laughs> he was a World War II veteran. He fought on, uh, on D-Day and he actually fought in the Battle of the Bulge. So you get to meet these guys. It's incredible. It's, it's so, the one thing I will say, Jamie, and it's very clear that you get more out of it than you put into it by a lot. And it's so rewarding in that regard. I would love to hear a little bit about some of the veterans that you have been of service to and how that process is of how you decide what veterans you're able to help. And I also would like to touch a little bit about how do you choose what type of home to build for them and, and where it's going to be. Let's go a little bit into that. One of our corporate sponsorships was with a huge bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, who through the Great Recession of 2009, 10, and 11 ended up with a stockpile of homes, and they didn't know what to do with them. Well, we found out an answer for them. They donated them to Building Homes for Heroes. So we would take these homes, we'd put them on the website and say, if you want, as veterans would look into this, if you wanted to live into this particular area, Potomac, Maryland, or uh, Landover, Maryland, or New Jersey, or We'd have homes there, different veterans based on 100% disabled status. We would analyze these applications and see what fit best and how the modifications had to be made to that home, if they were even possible to make to be made to that home, whether it needed an elevator put in, whether it needed, you know, had no stairs, or if, if there was a, a visually handicapped, we would change the floors to match so they could feel it with their walking canes. And there's also other economic issues. You can't put somebody in a home that can't maintain the home. Because even though it's mortgage-free, there are still expenses that go with the home. And the last thing we want is to create financial uh, disarray in a household that's just being presented there. Because then the children and the families, we viewed that as completely unacceptable. We get the Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts, the fire department, the police department, the chamber of commerce of that community. And we introduce them way before we put them in the home. We get the high school there to help clean up. And so that everybody is aware 
of what what's going on and there they buy in before we even get going it's a beautiful situation can i add a little something to that Jamie? absolutely two things actually one i think that last point is super important and something that i think strikes me about the organization it's not building houses for heroes it's building homes for heroes and i feel like with the idea of home comes like an inherent connotation of community and that's so critical to building homes for heroes or like ethos but also why we want it to be more about the veterans choosing where do they want to build their own community where do their families want to be and so that's run the gamut we have a veteran who his name is greg karen he grew up in connecticut had a lot of roots here and that's where his home is built and now he runs a business there and and kind of is establishing even further roots there on a different spectrum, Kirsty Ennis is another veteran who received a home. And I hope I can kind of sort of swear on this podcast. She's a real badass and she's <laughs> super outdoors oriented, loves outdoors. And so her home is in Colorado. And so I think that self-determination and desire to be part of different communities that allows you to blossom well beyond the structure of a house is so critical and central to the organization's mission. And then the second thing I just want to highlight, my dad kind of flew right by it, but it's one of my favorite house and home related stories with a vet. One of the vets over the course of his many, many surgeries ultimately ended up essentially being blind and near deaf. And so in the setup of his house, he super loves to cook. He actually has a um, fudge company, um, which is delicious. But um, one of the things that my dad kind of mentioned is understanding, you know, if you're a sighted person, when you walk into different rooms, you understand that they might mean different things, a living room, a kitchen, all that stuff. And so building into the structure of a house, whether it be the floor, whether it be texturized wallpaper and understanding for someone who does not have the ability to see that they're entering a new space of their own home and be able to take ownership of that. I mean, the details are that minuscule because of the understanding and recognition that that small decision grows tenfold into what it means to feel comfortable and confident in your own home. And so I think that's something I always like to mention because yes, the infrastructure and the builds of the homes or the modifications of the homes are super important to make sure that they're conducive to family life or wheelchairs or, you know, doorway widths, things that you, you know, kind of come with the idea of modifying a home, but it's so much more than that. It's about building a home that can allow someone to have a launch pad into whatever direction they want to go. And I think that speaks truly to the heart that Building Homes for Heroes brings to building this, not just the the head of, of the logical choices that they're making. So I just wanted to put a little finer point on that one. And where do you guys see Homes for Heroes in the future? Well, it's a very interesting question. We continue to grow and to expand as we still have a wait list of about over a thousand requests for homes. And we also have expanded our uh, footprint to now have the authority to, although we haven't stepped into it, the authority to, through our mission statement, as I aforementioned, all veterans, but also first responders. So that will allow us to expand should the I hate to say the thing that people near and dear our hearts live and die by, but the marketplace, should that be an important part? We think it's an important part of our charity because the first responders were so instrumental 
on 9-11 and still are so instrumental and so critical to our well-being. So we will expand that as we go along. Chloe, I wanted to talk a little bit with you about the annual fundraiser that you are a volunteer co-chair of. So you've been the volunteer co-chair since 2015. And since then, that event has raised over $250,000. So congrats on that. That's huge. Thank you. (laughs) So why did you decide to become the volunteer co-chair of this annual fundraising event that you have in Connecticut? Well, like so many things, I think, and um, if it's not yet clear to your listeners, um, I know you said both our names at the beginning, but I'm Chloe and I'm actually sitting next to my dad, Tony. Um, So like so many things, I would say my first year, it wasn't necessarily a full-blown volunteering. It was maybe a little bit more of a voluntold situation, (laughs) but like so many things that start out that way, it's the very best gift that I could have is having this event and time and organization that I get to share with my dad. And actually when we started, um, it was also with my Nana, who is the wife of a Navy man. Um, actually both of my grandfathers served. And so I think that's where the family piece comes into it for me. I definitely saw my dad working really hard in the organization at the start. And I had seen what home life and, and families and homes had meant to both of my grandfathers and kind of pulling them out of their experience in their respective service, which was very different. But I think that's really where it started for me. And so the event itself really started on just a, a whim sounds, uh, you know, a little bit silly, but it was almost kind of a whim. We just kind of started to because we started and that was the first year and we didn't really know where it was going to go. We were lucky enough in uh, the community where my parents live to have like one singular bar restaurant in the area and they offered up the space on off season Sunday and were we to say no to a donated space. So just kind of started with word of mouth, local community members in our towns and in our communities and Really from there, it has just skyrocketed. Um, you know, you mentioned that over the course of the fundraiser, it's um, raised over $250,000. Over 150000 of that is the past two years. So it's definitely grown <laughs> exponentially, which is such a joy and so humbling to see because so many of our friends and family near and far contribute to our efforts. And I think part of it goes to what my dad was sharing about knowing where the money's going. I think so much of donating to a nonprofit when there's so much need and so much demand and so many good ones out there really fighting the good fight is having an in, having a connection, knowing someone, because a lot of it is trust. You People's money is really valuable. It's a real commitment and a real trust when you donate it to a nonprofit. And so I think the fact that people know us and know our character makes them so generous in their donations. And so that, again, has just been super humbling to be a part of. But that's really how it got started and how it's blossomed from from there. And it's a really fun day. And one of my favorite things about it is people come to the, you know, it's down the hatch, it's called. People come there because they know about our event. But people are also there on a Sunday afternoon for a burger and fries on a beautiful day. and so. Those conversations are the ones that excite me because it's people stopping by kind of saying, what's what's going on here? And then you get to have a conversation with someone. And I think those are so wonderful because whether they donate or not, you're kind of planting a seed and you have no idea the legs that that will have in the future. 
I know that you had mentioned a couple of veterans previously when we were chatting, but is there any that really stand out to you that you've met? I it's know that's hard. A, I know. <laughs> it's such a hard question. A, I think I'd like Chloe to take on Kirsty, and uh, I will share. Chloe mentioned Greg Karen. I met Greg at the annual dinner that we have once a year in New York in 2012, I believe. And it was one year after he was injured. He lost both his legs in Afghanistan and his arm was messed up. And he wasn't even supposed to be able to be on prosthetics. Well, I met him leaning. He was leaning on the bar when I met him. And there was a guy standing right next to him who looked just like him. And it was his identical twin who was a Marine. And the two Marines were standing there. And this lovely young lady that he's married to, Nina, was standing there and just told stories about them checking in the hotel room. And and it was basically like like two 22, 23-year-old maniacs, you know, cool guys. But I mean, they're just they're pulling the well, I wonder what this is, the emergency, you know, the thing in the in the handicapped room or whatever. Because the, in their minds, in his mind, he wasn't injured. And in his brother's mind, he wasn't injured. Meanwhile, he's on prosthetics. And I said to uh, them, we're going upstairs now. Here's an elevator there. And Nina grabbed my shirt, almost with tears in her eyes. She said to me, watch this shit. You're not going to believe it. Well, he wasn't even supposed to walk. He walked up a flight of stairs with his brother, the Marine, one inch behind him. There was no way he could have fallen. And there was no way he wasn't going to make it all the way up. And I just, from that I still have chills thinking about that. He was a soccer star in Ellington, Connecticut, where he picked out the piece of property. We went and cleared it out. He drove the tractors that cleared it out because his father was an excavator. It was an unbelievable experience. And now he shows up at all. And he was so shy. He couldn't even speak. And that day we announced that we were going to build him a house. He couldn't believe it. Now he's one of our best ambassadors and he runs Americaran landscape business in Ellington, Connecticut. And uh, so proud of him that it's unbelievable. And we subsequently built the second house in Connecticut. I was supposed to master, be the master of ceremonies to try to carry this on. And I said, no way. I grabbed Greg and Greg was the master and he did a spectacular job. So that's my one experience. And Greg, Greg also has his own fundraiser for building homes for heroes annually. So right. The Connecticut golf outing. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. We share Connecticut with Greg when it comes to our fundraisers, because the more the merrier for sure. Of course. I did want to ask you. So with everyone listening, and I know that you have your annual fundraiser in Connecticut, but people that are outside of Connecticut, like myself, how can we help your organization? Yeah, that's a super great question. So the quickest way is buildinghomesforheroes.org for two reasons. One, because it's a place to learn, learn about the mission, um, you know, vet the organization, make sure it's something that speaks to you, uh, make sure it's something that you feel good about donating your money to or your time to, but also because it is a place that you can donate um, right on the website to give if you feel so inclined. And again, if you really want to go above and beyond and you, you do feel called to the organization, there's also the opportunity to get in touch with folks about hosting a fundraiser or, or doing more than just kind of being an individual um, donating to the organization. But buildinghomesforheroes.org for kind of the, the big picture. And then on Instagram, Building Homes for Heroes is a really wonderful way to see some of what my dad was talking about earlier, stories about veterans, 
stories about the homecomings. Um, you know, it's it never gets old. It really doesn't seeing bands play, seeing Girl Scouts with their signs cheering on as families arrive. It it's like the first time you see it every single time. That's how how moving it is. Um, so those are kind of two quick ways I would say if you're interested in the organization, if you want to learn more, and the website also has contact information for for folks to get in touch with people. Chloe and Tony, before I let you guys go, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think people should know? I do think that people should know that there are some major, major sponsors that have allowed Building Homes for Heroes to grow and to thrive. Advanced Auto Parts and Lowe's and Truck Hero and uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, as I mentioned, but also the state of Florida has been a big contributor of what we do. We Many of the veterans need to move to areas that are accessible to veterans organizations. So even though we have two houses in Connecticut, we have 80 houses in Florida that we've gifted so that it's a big deal. So that's important. And that idea that Chloe mentioned, as we spoke of, that is the homes part. We want to gift people more than just a house, allow them to thrive. Greg Karen has his business. Aaron Hale has his chocolate business. There are all kinds of different, we have Olympiads. Chloe didn't get a chance to talk about Kirsty, but Kirsty has climbed six of the seven tallest mountains in the world as an amputee. And she is going to try Mount Everest in the spring. That is just mind boggling how driven and how special these veterans and deserving these veterans are. And as anyone that's gifted money or plans on gifted money, there is such a return to them because they're so humbled and gracious in in appreciate in acceptance of the home, but an appreciation of it. Yeah. Kirstie's also getting her PhD. So just want to toss that in there while she's training yeah. for climbing Everest. Thanks for the question, Jamie. I think it's such a good one because I mentioned this earlier. There are so many great organizations out there that are doing really good work. But what I always come back to with building homes for heroes is Oftentimes, so much of the work that these veterans have done, they've done without like you or I ever having to think about it. So I think doing this work in service of them and, and kind of quietly gifting back to them a true foundation upon which they can move forward from is like the least that we can do when it comes to this, this thing that they felt called to do. So much of what, you know, we want to do in terms of protecting our communities and our families and our homes, it comes out in different ways. And the way a lot of these vets did that was to serve in the armed forces. And so I think doing that without fanfare and and so many of these families have done it quietly for so long to be able to shine a light and say, thank you. Thank you for doing this for your family, for your community, for my family, for my community, this is what we want to do for you is is super important. And I think I'll kind of end on a final family because I think it really speaks to Building Homes for Heroes' willingness to evolve and grow to support families. Um, one of the most recent homes, actually the 299th, I think, was given to a family, four kids, four kids, 
whose dad served, they lost him and whose mom passed away um, of cancer after raising them. And so the head of household is a 22 year old who's taking care of her siblings in a home that was gifted by building homes for heroes because of what this family went through in service of this country. And I think that idea that this family, these sets of kids, they gave so much is something that needs to be honored. And so I'm so proud to be part of an organization that is willing to adapt and adjust because they see that need and they know they have the means to fill that need. Organizations that are problem identifiers and problem solvers, I think are the best kind of helpers that we need right now. And so that's what I would just say as you're thinking about if Building Homes for Heroes is the right place for you to give some money or some time, think about that idea of of being a problem identifier and solver and being the kind of helper that's willing to go that extra mile. Wow. Thank you guys so much. That's such an incredible story. And Building Homes for Heroes has always been near and dear to my husband's heart. And now I know why. So I'm so happy that I was able to take the time, talk to you guys today and really figure out all the ins and outs of Building Homes from Heroes and why this is such a special organization to you guys and to so many other people. So thank you again for coming on and talking to talking to me today. Thank you, Jamie, for giving us the chance. It was wonderful to get to connect with you. Of course. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Truman Charities podcast. Until next time. If you liked this episode, please make sure to rate and review our podcast. That is how more people learn about the Truman Charities podcast and our organization. And to make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you'd like to follow Truman Charities, you can follow us on Facebook at Truman Charities, Instagram at Jamie underscore Truman Charities, and check out our website, trumancharities.com.